Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? Presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's up, man? Not much. We're talking basketball today, but man, it has been a crazy week for sports. Yeah, absolutely. There is a lot to talk about, uh, things that are happening live in baseball, college football, NFL, so much so that uh, we really want to talk about it. So we're planning a special second episode this week that's going to come out later in the week where we're going to talk about everything that happened over the weekend and talk about those championship series games in, in the MLB. But Believe it or not, basketball tip-off is nine days away, which seems insane to me. I thought that the finals just ended, but it's coming. So we have to take a break from all the live things that are happening and do an NBA preview, and this is the time that we carved out for it. So uh, hopefully you're ready to talk some NBA. If you're looking for some football or baseball, stay tuned for that special uh, second episode that we're posting later in the week. But uh, Chris... uh, where do you what what do you want to start with in the, in the NBA? Well, first, it is kind of crazy that we're already talking about the NBA. I guess that's what happens when your season spans eight months, six month regular season and a two month playoff. You only got four months to really digest everything. So it is kind of crazy that we have such a quick turnaround. And I also want to just give a little memo to the NBA. You can cut the preseason out pretty much. Maybe just play two exhibition games because, quite frankly, none of these teams are trying. I think the Cleveland Cavaliers have rested their top eight guys in all however many preseason games they've played. I have not tracked it at all because it's such a joke. But anyway, how about we just start in the East and how about we start with our hometown Cleveland Cavaliers because I've got them number one Eastern Conference favorites right off the bat. Yeah, I don't see uh, how you cannot consider them the favorite everyone is back uh from that team that went to the conference final or to the uh nba championship finals last year uh obviously they're still waiting on tristan thompson but he is if he's gonna play he's gonna play for the Cavs this year so everybody's back plus a couple key additions mo williams got another good offensive point guard that was a key uh Achilles heel for them when Kyrie Irving went down. Delvadova is a great defender, not a good offensive scorer. Now they have Mo Williams, so they can go uh, either way when they're resting Kyrie. Uh, they re-signed J.R. Smith, Amon Shumpert. They even brought over uh, Sasha Khan as another big man. Anderson Verjo's back from injury. This team is deep. Uh, nothing really to, to worry about except for the injuries. I mean, LeBron James has a back injection. I think that's precautionary. He's not playing in any of the preseason games. Kevin Love uh, just played his first preseason game, his full contact game of basketball, coming back from that shoulder injury. You got Kyrie Irving uh, recovering from that uh, bruised, or I'm sorry, hairline fracture in his kneecap that, that saw him miss the rest of the NBA Finals. So he's not going to be back until probably December or maybe January. Mon Shumpert's nursing a wrist surgery. He's out till December. So Cleveland's definitely not starting at full force but I think that might be a blessing in disguise for them. Yeah, here's the thing. I I like their additions. Mo Williams is a huge – he was the key signing because you need a guy who can sort of man the ship while Kyrie Irving recovers. And if if I'm the general manager of the Cleveland Cavaliers, which I'm not, and and I'm not trying to say that I should be, (laughs) here's the plan. Nobody plays until March. Okay, 
This team started 19 and 20 last year. They were sixth in the East at that point. They finished with more than 50 wins, second seed in the East, and you saw what not having home floor did to them. They only swept the Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals. I believe they only lost two games during the Eastern Conference playoffs. The Eastern Conference is a joke, bottom line. An improved joke, but still a joke. The Cleveland Cavaliers are overwhelmingly the best team in this conference. The preseason starts on Tuesday for the Cavs. The regular season starts March 1st for the Cavs. Kyrie Irving, I don't want to see him in a game until March 1st. Kevin Love, if his shoulder's a little tingly, hold him out. LeBron James should not be playing more than 25 minutes a night. These guys just rest, mail it in, start 20 and 20. Who cares? They'll be fine. They don't need home floor to win this conference. They need to be healthy to win a championship. And I think Mo Williams can hold down the point guard position until Kyrie gets back. You still have Del Vadova who can play, switch it up defensively. You have two good shooting guards. J.R. Smith is usually pretty healthy. And let's not forget, I think Richard Jefferson, that signing, is a bit of an improvement from Sean Marion. I think David Black just needs to use his bench a lot more this year. Again, if anything is wrong with anyone, and I'm talking just a bruised fingernail, they don't play unless it's March. That should be the plan, the only plan, the only goal. It isn't home floor. It isn't a lot of wins. It's winning the championship, and that means all systems go come March 1st. Yeah, I think I think we forget that the current roster, the Cavs, has only been together since uh, January, late January of this year. So they still had they had a lot to figure out during the season. You had a rookie head coach. You had I don't know ten new players on that roster, and then you traded some for some more players. I mean, there's a lot of turnover last year. This year, they have the benefit of. Uh, continuity everybody's back Mo Williams is a guy that uh, LeBron knows and has played with already so this is a, a unit that has some continuity they can afford to open up the bench a little bit David Black can coach a little bit more they have the knowledge that this is a team that is really good when they're operating on all cylinders they didn't have to figure that out uh, they don't have to worry about figuring that out this year you know last year there's a lot of pressure on them I think this year they can rest and say all right, yeah, we're losing a couple of games, but we know we can turn it on. We're going to turn it on when we have to, but we're just we're just taking it easy right now. So I think, you know, look at what happened with those Heat teams. It was year one was really rough when LeBron went there. Year two and three, uh, they just rolled train through everybody. And I think that's kind of what we're going to see. Probably not so much because they're dealing with so many nagging injuries to start off, but I think it's going to be a lot more fluid and a lot easier for them in year two. And I like how year one of this Cavs team and year one of the Heat's team is described as a disappointment, even though both of those teams had a 2-1 to lead in the NBA Finals. I mean, come on! <laughs> both of those teams could have won the championship, and it was a disappointment. Those are the kind of expectations LeBron James brings. I understand what you're saying, of course, but I do think it's kind of funny that despite having a skeleton crew NBA Finals team, that Cavs team was almost up 3-0 on the Warriors. Iman Shumpert's shot at the buzzer in Game 1 almost put them up 3-0. Now, obviously, that changes the whole series. You can't just assume that Golden State would have played the same kind of desperation if they were down 2-0 as opposed to 2-1. So it certainly would have changed some things. But in the hindsight, they came really close to beating the Golden State Warriors without Kyrie Irving, without Kevin Love, dealing with injuries. This team 
is going to be fine this year. And I don't see how you can't say they're the overwhelming favorites in the East. However, as I mentioned earlier, the Eastern Conference is definitely very much improved. Bob, who do you think is the Cavaliers' greatest threat in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, there's some tempting teams to throw out there. I think I have to go with someone that is consistent and is tried and true and has some upside, and that's the Washington Wizards. You got John Wall leading the way, uh, had a really great year last year. I think he led the Eastern Conference in assists. He's a really good point guard, and he's got a really good running mate in Bradley Beal, his shooting guard. He stretches the floor, has a great three-point shot, can play some defense, and continues to improve. Uh, Those two guys uh, provide a lot for the Wizards, and they have some good bangers down low. The key man in challenging the Cavs is going to be Otto Porter Jr., He's taken the reins at small forward for Paul Pierce, who took the reins uh, at small forward two, last year for Trevor Ariza. That seems to be the the linchpin of the Wizards' offense. If that position is clicking, they seem to be rolling. If it's not, there's just no shots for anybody because there are no shooters on the floor except for Beal. So look for Otto Porter Jr. to continue to improve. He had a breakout playoff. Uh, He had 10 points per game and and 8 rebounds in the playoffs. He's a highly drafted player entering his third year. I expect him to be a lot better. And if he is a lot better and plays to the level that we expected of him when he was drafted, I think this Wizards team is going to be really good. Yeah, Porter's entering his third year in the league. He's a guy I liked when he was drafted. I thought he should have been the number one overall pick. I thought Cleveland should have taken him. He struggled his rookie year, but he was also playing behind Trevor Ariza, who had that position on lockdown. The reason the small forward position is so critical is because, as you mentioned, you got to have a shooter on the floor. Paul John Wall, excuse me, is one of the best point guards, if not the best point guard, at creating corner threes, which means you need to have someone who can knock down the corner three consistently. Ariza was that. Paul Pierce is a solid shooter. And I think that he kind of got into the rhythm of the offense as the year went on. I think they were taking he, it easy a, on him. He's a shot creator. Like he's not maybe not a good three point shooter at this point in his career, but he still can make a shot. Exactly, and and so I think that Otto Porter is going to have to take yet another step forward, which is it's encouraging that last year he took such a big step forward because it means that his rookie year just wasn't a bust. He struggled. But he improved. And that's what I look for. You know, I think too many people label people a bust after one year. I look for sophomore year improvement. And Otto Porter definitely took a big step forward. He's going to have to take another step forward to A, justify being drafted in the top three. And B, justify putting those expectations on him as probably the starting small forward. The other guy I like is Kelly Obrey Jr., their rookie that they traded for on draft day. They didn't technically draft him, but they, they wound up with him after a series of trades. I like him too. I think he can add some depth to that forward position. And maybe if he can break out and Porter struggles between the two of them, they have something that clicks. But we all know why they're not committing to that small forward position long term. They've got their eyes down the road for maybe a little Kevin Durant action hometown reunion. So we'll see. We'll talk about that later. But we're looking right now. I agree. I like Washington. I don't necessarily think they're the biggest threat to Cleveland because I think two other teams improved a lot in the offseason but I certainly think they're one of the four best teams in the East. Yeah, I mean, I I suspect the other two teams that you're going to name, and I think that if those two teams click and operate on full cylinders and are healthy come playoff time, that they probably are better than the Wizards. I just think that 
there are a lot of ifs for these for the other teams in the Eastern Conference. The Wizards, I know what I'm going to get. It's going to be John Wall creating a lot of shots. The Wizards are tried and true and a really gritty, defen- good defensive team. So I think they're the safest bet to say that they're going to challenge the Cavs in the playoffs. And I guess I would agree with that as far as a continuity standpoint. But I might slightly disagree with you to the extent that they're the safest bet because I really like the Atlanta Hawks. Now, you know last year I was one of the biggest critics of the Atlanta Hawks. All year long I said that they were overrated. All year long I gave them no chance. I picked them to be swept by the Cavs. A lot of people gave me heat for that. I was ultimately right about the Atlanta Hawks. Everything I didn't like about them came to fruition and the Cavs exploited that. The one main problem I had with the Hawks was Al Horford at center and Paul Millsap at power forward. Two guys you don't Tristan Thompson devoured them on the glass, and he's the power forward. They could play him at center. Thiago Splinter, if he's your starting center, that goes away real fast. That puts Horford at the power forward. And if Paul Millsap can play small forward, I think this team is exceptionally deadly. I know you really like Damari Carroll, but I think he's a little bit replaceable. I know Thabo Cephalosha isn't necessarily a guy who can go to small forwards, but Remember, he was hurt last year for the postseason. He'll be back this year in that sort of off-the-court incident, his trial and everything with the, with the police. It wasn't his fault. He was, you know, standing by, and, and, and there, it was a whole different story. But long story short, Cephalosha was injured for the postseason last year. He should be back this year and help with their perimeter defense. Jeff Teague had a bit of a breakout year last year. I think he's a guy you can win with. Al Horford is a strong running mate for him but the key is I think splitter at center will have the same effect that Mozgov at center did for the Cavs and move people into their national position natural position the question is can Paul Millsap play small forward on a consistent basis if you can roll that lineup out and have it be effective I think this team has the potential to really challenge for the Eastern Conference I mean I think they're gonna make the playoffs I don't think they're a top four team anymore I've I think the loss of Damari Carroll is going to be it's going to take a while for you to notice it but I think he was the the linchpin that held held that starting five together the, the starting five that was so efficient together now you're you're rid of Damari Carroll and you you're inserting Tiago Splitter into that starting lineup uh that's you're only returning three of the five pieces and I mean Technically, you, you still have four of those five pieces, but somebody's going to have to go to the bench because Paul Millsap at small forward just doesn't... That does not do it for me. I mean, I don't think that he can defend the small forward position, and I don't think he's quick enough to really attack from that position. I, I, I don't... It just, that doesn't sound good to me. If it works, if it works, I think, yeah, it'll be it'll be a genius move for them. And I think the Hawks have good developmental coaches that, that actually coach NBA players and, and make, get the best out of them. Maybe they can do this, but uh, Damari Carroll was the most athletic guy in that starting five. And without him, Al Horford, Tiago Splitter, Paul Millsap, uh, Jeff Teague and Kyle Korver, none of those guys are overwhelmingly dominant physically and you need at least one of those guys I mean Kent Bazemore is going to be your basically de facto small forward unless Paul Millsap steps in it just doesn't inspire me and I think uh, we saw the best of the Atlanta Hawks last year and that just wasn't good enough to beat a star-studded Cavaliers roster 
Well, yeah, first off, I do think, I mean, look, Damari Carroll, I, I guess I don't value him as highly as you do because I think Damari Carroll is replaceable. I don't necessarily think guys like Horford and Teague and Millsap are but replaceable. who did they replace him with? Well, they 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 addressed arguably their biggest weakness, interior defense. They got crushed on the boards by a bigger, more athletic Cleveland Cavaliers team. I think Splitter's going but to what's, help. What is that, that. going to do? What is that going to do with their spacing on offense? Well, I mean, look. First off, they still have Kyle Korver. He can shoot the three. Cephalosha is a streaky shooter. Look, I don't have all the answers for this particular team, but I do think that if Paul Millsap can play small forward effectively, which I think he can offensively. I'm not sure if he can defend threes, and I think that's going to be the key. You alluded to that earlier. But I still think there's a lot of talent on this team, and I like the combination of Splitter and Horford. Even if Millsap comes off the bench and only plays small forward in bursts, than I did last year with Damari Carroll at the three. I just think that the team is overall improved by addressing such a critical need down low. Yeah, I, it's hard to argue with it. I think that um, I think they're going to win a lot of games in the regular season still just because of the talent that's still there and the makeup of the Eastern Conference. I just don't think that they are the the biggest threat to the Cavs. I have three other teams that I think are more are going to pose a bigger threat than that. Really? So you don't even have Atlanta in your top four? No, I, I mean, I think they're going to make the playoffs, but I don't have them in my top four. Yeah, see, I have them in my top four. I, I've got uh, Cleveland, Atlanta, Washington, and one other team in my top four. So it'll be interesting to see which one that you have in your top four. Why don't you just uh, reveal one of your other teams right now? Okay, well, um, the, the Miami Heat uh, made a lot. They, they traded for Goran Dragic uh, at the trade deadline. Two days later, find out that Chris Bosh is going to miss the rest of the year. This is a unit that's going to be a lot different. You're going to have Dragic, Dwayne Wade, Gerald Green, which I think is the best bargain signing of the offseason. They got him at small forward for a one-year, $1.5 million deal. This is a three-point shooter who shoots around five, 450 behind the line, scored 11 points with Phoenix last year. That's a really good addition. Now you got Chris Bosh, Hassan Whiteside, Amari Stoudemire came over, and... You drafted Justice Winslow, who's probably the best athlete in the NBA draft. Looked like a steal when he fell to the heat. This is a good make roster. I mean, health willing, which is a big key for some of those older guys, but health willing, this team will be really good. We'll certainly make the playoffs this year. There's a lot of talent. The pick and roll possibilities with Goran Dragic and Chris Bosch are very scary. I think that's going to be a, a very hard thing to stop. I like this heat roster it's a veteran group they're gonna have they're coming in healthy josh mcroberts might actually be back and contribute off the bench who was a signing that they had last year i think the heat uh are gonna be good and as long as Dwayne wade and chris bosch maintain relative health to what they've had the past few years they're definitely going to compete for a top four seed in the east yeah you didn't even mention the wall dang who is small forward as well. And they've got Justice Winslow, Gerald Green can play shooting guard or small forward. Mario Chalmers, not a bad backup point guard to Goran Dragic. Justice Winslow could have been the steal of the draft, and he might not even start for them, so he can be broken in uh, you know, with relative ease. Udonis Haslam is Mr. Miami Heat. Amari Stoudemire coming in on a you know value contract. But again, as you said, 
there are going to be two keys. One is health. Dwayne Wade is not the epitome of health right now. This team has been snake bit by injuries the last couple of years. If they are snake bit again, they're not going to be there. But if they're healthy, I think they're the number two team in the East. The other to, big to to Wade's credit, he did have a really a really good healthy year last year, and that was due in part to some changes he made in the off season and, and to some focusing on staying on the court longer. So, Certainly. I mean, Wade's last year was probably the healthiest he's been in a while. And I think with all the depth they have, they can kind of do what Cleveland's doing. Maybe not go for the number two seed, maybe settle for a three or four seed, but be healthy in the postseason. I certainly could see them pulling that kind of a tactic, especially when you have a very experienced head coach and general manager and Pat Riley and uh, Jesus, why am I blanking on their head coach's name? Spolstra, Spolstra, (laughs) Eric Spolstra, my gosh. Uh, so they've been there before. They know how to manage these kind of minutes. But the other key to me is Hassan Whiteside. Last year, he had a breakout season. He was probably the value free agent of the year last year. I thought he should have won most improved player as opposed to Jimmy Butler. But is it a flash in the pan or is it for real? Let's see if he can do it in year two. I think he's for real because he had such a strong year. Even if he comes back down to earth a little bit, he'll still be a very competent center. And they're so deep with Stoudemire off the bench. I mean, Chris Anderson will give you some solid minutes. They're they're so deep. I think that on paper, this team should definitely be the number two team in the East. If it can stay healthy, I think it'll be a big challenge to Cleveland. And how about that for an Eastern Conference Finals, Miami, Cleveland? The storyline writes itself. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people were hoping for. Uh, Cleveland getting the second seed and Miami sneaking into that seventh seed for the for the first round last year. But yeah, that would be this year. I think it's definitely possible that they're going to meet in the playoffs, and that will definitely be a a uh, very emotional, highly publicized event to watch. So and just really cool. another chance for Florida to steal something else from Ohio: the Marlins in '97, the Gators in basketball and football in the same year the heat stealing lebron james and free agency i actually don't want that to happen as a cleveland fan for the record <laughs> yeah i don't really want them to meet either but just because i think that uh we would fate would make us lose as always but uh yeah that'll be interesting and i think hassan whiteside you know last year he would that roster would rely on him heavily i think they with the additions of Stoudemire, with Bosch coming back, with McRoberts coming back, they can mitigate any losses or regression that they had in Whiteside and, and shift some of those guys over to center and, and run a little small if they have to. But if Whiteside's healthy and and uh, wasn't a flash in the pan, like you said, this team is, is going to be really scary in the East for sure. Were they your number four team? No, they were my number two team. I have Cleveland, Miami, Atlanta, and Washington in that order. You could I, I, can, yeah, I can nitpick over Washington and Atlanta, to tell you the truth, but I have Cleveland, Miami, Atlanta, and Washington in that order. So who is your mystery fourth team in your top four? Uh, I'm going with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, again, yeah, health is a big issue, like I, like I just said, with the Heat. Uh, Derrick Rose already missed time in the preseason. for uh, To his credit, it was a freak injury to his eye socket, but still – He's missing games. He's missing chemistry with his team. Uh, big. So I think Derek Rose's health is concern number one. I think Jimmy Butler, is he for real a star like we saw last year, averaging 20 points a game, being one of the best defenders on the wing? Can he continue that? 
And then number three is just the health of their big guys in Pau Gasol and Joachim Noah and uh, Tosh Gibson as well. Uh, can they maintain some kind of health between all the pieces that they have where in the playoffs they have a, a good rotation? I mean, they, they added Nikola Meritik last year. I think he was uh, probably the second best rookie to Andrew Wiggins. Some thought he was the best rookie uh, they drafted Bobby Portis this year, another power forward who is SEC player of the year, another good offensive power forward. So there's a lot of depth here that can cover up some of the losses. Uh, it's just can Derrick Rose, Jimmy Butler, and one of those big guys stay healthy for a whole year. That's the big key. Yeah, it sounds like the same old story with the Bulls for the last now, what, six years, ever since Derrick Rose's injury. Actually, even going back to 2011, this is year six of the Chicago Bulls experiment every year we ask the same question can player X this year it would be Jimmy Butler carry a team that has no number two option and Derrick Rose at this point is number two option on the team the answer is no they've proven time and time again every year they get to the playoffs they lose every year they get to the playoffs they lose to LeBron James every year in the playoffs it's just not enough this team is not they, good enough they this still team get to the not, playoffs they'll get to the playoffs no problem they're not a top four I don't even have them as my dark horse because they're not going to beat LeBron James. Look, they don't have enough. They, they have too many power forwards. Now, the only thing that would make me change my mind is if midseason they make a big trade and move Gibson, Mirachik, or Portis, or a combination of them, or maybe Tony Snell, some sort of combination where they can get a better player, a, a more established player that makes me scared of this team. This team is the same old team. It's the same team it's been for the last five years. They're going to do the same thing they've done the last five years. I'm saying the same thing I have said the last five years, that this team is not good enough to win the East. They're in, how much mediocrity do you have to see out of this team before you finally drink the Kool-Aid that they're not good enough? The Chicago Bulls are not good enough pending a trade at the deadline to drastically change the makeup of this roster. But this roster, a bunch of gritty defenders, a bunch of gritty post players who, when they face LeBron James, get destroyed every time in the playoffs. I mean, that's fair enough. That That's a, a very fair argument um, to lose to a LeBron James-led team. You know, the guy that's won the Eastern Conference five years in a row now, that's not exactly like the end of the world. I mean, maybe Fred Hoiberg, the new coach, is going to instill some, get some better things out of some of those players i just i don't i would i would pick them as my number four team than really anybody else in the eastern conference they there's more talent there than than anybody else that i see so i'm not saying that they're going far i mean i just think that they're the fourth best team i don't know man i'm 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 done with the bulls i'm just i was done with them two years ago honestly i think it's because i have a couple bulls fans who kind of uh like to tell me every year that the bulls are finally going to do it but like, it's the same team, same story. I mean, they don't change anything really about this roster. And every year in the regular season, they look really good because in the regular season, it's easy to look really good. But when it gets to the playoffs, it folds like a tent. I mean, it's not just LeBron James. They've been upset in the first round a couple times before. And I know they weren't at full strength, but that's another issue. They're not going to stay healthy. Every year they get hurt. Every year, their one superstar isn't good enough. Every year, Derrick Rose doesn't look like the Derrick Rose of 2011. I'm sorry, man. I've seen five years of the same thing. I look at the roster. I see the same thing plus Bobby Portis. That's not enough to get me to buy, buy, buy. I'm selling. They're not a top four team, in my opinion. 
All right, but you still have him making the playoffs, right? Oh, of course. It's the Eastern Conference. And all you have to do is have Jimmy Butler and you make the conference in the East. But they are not my dark horse, though. I have a different dark horse, and that would be the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think the Bucks are a team that could really be deadly, especially bringing in Greg Monroe. You return um, Jabari Parker from injury, who played about 22 games or so, would have given Wiggins a run for his money at Rookie of the Year. Those guys could really change the dynamic of this roster. And I know you're not a huge Michael Carter-Williams fan, but I am. I think he has the size to be a good point guard in this league. And if you're asking him to be your number three option, I think you could do a lot worse than that. He certainly needs to improve a bit, but he's got the point guard whisper and Jason Kidd on his side. Jason Kidd is one of the best coaches in the NBA. He's proven that over the last two years. I think the Milwaukee Bucks could be a dark horse. I think that they're the the best of the teams that I don't have in my top four. Yeah, it's a very good pick. I like what the Bucks uh, did last year. They surprised a lot of people with the young lineup, and they basically have, starting from the three guys that can rotate and cover four positions, and that's really impressive. Adding Greg Monroe is only going to help them. Yeah, Michael Carter-Williams is has some good talents. I just don't think he's a good shooter, and I think that that is uh, not sustainable for a starting point guard in this in this current makeup of the NBA um that's a really good pick I was going a little differently with my dark horse just a team that would surprise me by making the playoffs and that is the Orlando Magic they got a nice young backcourt with Victor Oladipo and Alfred Payton again both those guys can't really shoot the three but they can defend uh probably as good as any backcourt combination in the league they're really athletic they're great defensively and they got this center down low, Nikola Vucevic, 19.3 points per game and 10 rebounds per game. They Probably one of the most legit centers in the Eastern Conference that nobody really knows about. Look for him to take another step forward and be a dominant figure down low. And then they drafted this guy, Mario Hezonja, the shooting guard small forward from Croatia, played at Real Madrid. I, he seems to be really talented, and he could compete for rookie of the year i think he just has that kind of offensive skill set coming right in this is a good young team that has uh, a lot of pieces and they've been drafting really low for a while now it's time to go all in and i think with the center and with that backward they can definitely do it that is the first team we disagree on playoff wise i believe i believe you have milwaukee and atlanta both making the playoffs correct in the east uh yeah because I still have Chicago making a playoff. So we're agreed on six teams. Orlando's the first team I don't have. I actually, rounding off my playoff teams, I have Indiana, Toronto. Toronto really, because I think they play in a pretty easy division, to tell you the truth. I mean, you look at all the other teams we've mentioned, they all play in the Central or the uh, Southwest or whatever, or Southeast, I believe. Toronto, I think, is going to win that division because it's such a joke of a division. But if division format didn't exist, heck, I might just pick another team from one of those other two divisions because, quite frankly, I don't. I'm not. I'm not a huge believer in Toronto. Though they did play very well last year, they just, uh, you know, it seems like every year they're a product of a weak division. Yeah, I, I, uh, to round mine out, uh, I have Orlando replacing Indiana for you, uh, Toronto, Milwaukee, and, and uh, what did I say? I'm sorry. Atlanta. Me, Atlanta. Yeah, I have yeah. Atlanta, Toronto, Milwaukee, and Orlando in my bottom four. 
I, I'm kind of, I was tempted to put Toronto in my top four, really. I mean, I, we disagree on Damari Carroll, I guess, because I thought that was a good addition for them. I also like Corey Joseph backing up uh, Kyle Lowry there. DeMar DeRozan, I don't know. There's there's enough power there uh, for them to get through the East and to make the playoffs. I think regardless of division, really, Jonas Valachunas finally is showing his potential a little bit. There, there's It's a good team. They're just, I, they're just not entirely... Uh, they're not going to be a dominant team. I would agree with that. I, and you're, you know what? You're right. I mean, if you're picking eight Eastern Conference teams, Toronto probably would be one of the eight. And they got uh, Anthony Bennett now, too. Yeah, I know. That'll, that'll put them over the edge. Oh. <laughs> anyway, we spent a ton of time on the Eastern Conference. We still have a whole other conference to get to, and it's the Western Conference. And that conference is traditionally 100 times more stacked than the Eastern Conference. So let's just start with the obvious one. How scared are you of the Spurs? I would be uh, incredibly scared. The, uh, I mean, if I'm in the Western Conference, I'm hoping that Tim Duncan realizes that he's 40 years old now and he shouldn't be doing this anymore. <laughs> or something. Like, I think that's the only way that uh, people have a chance against these Spurs if you know age and injury catches up to them this year. But we've been saying that for forever. They know how to navigate the regular season. Uh, Popovich and that old big three uh, is so deft at resting at the right time, staying healthy. They know how to get through the regular season. They don't care about seeding. And then you add in these young guns, LaMarcus Aldridge, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard. I think that's a young big three. I mean, that's a really good really good core to have. Uh, the Danny Green signing was a steal for what he came back for. And then to get a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge, 20 points uh, over 10 rebounds a game coming from the Trailblazers to basically just learn from Tim Duncan for a year and take over, but to also have them play together as a center power forward combination. I'm incredibly scared of this team. I'm calling this the big three meets the little three. Yeah. You can roll that up into some like super six or whatever, but let me just read off their depth chart. Tony Parker, Danny Green, LaMarcus Aldridge, Tim Duncan, Kawhi Leonard. They're backups. Manu Ginobili, Patty Mills, David West, Boris Diaw, Kyle Anderson. I defy you to find a starting 10 or a 10-team roster better than that because you can't. This, on paper, is the best team in the West, arguably the best team in the NBA. They have the best coach in the NBA. And look, all due respect to the Golden State Warriors, this team has vaulted past them, at least preseason. Because, yes, I know the Warriors did it last year, but the Spurs have been doing it for years and years and years. It's not like they're not just two years removed from a championship. They went to back-to-back finals two years, in the last three years. So this team has really distanced itself from a very competitive Western Conference. And... I don't know. Look outside, looking in, I would arguably say that going in, they're the preseason favorites to win it all, even over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, um, I think in a vacuum you would have to do it, but just because they play in a Western Conference where the playoffs is such a grind from from the very first round, I would still say the Cavs are a favorite just because they have an easier path to get to those finals. But I think the Spurs are better than any team in the NBA. 
Uh, did you say? The one of the ironic part is that the Western Conference is more of a grind, but Cleveland was the one that got banged up by the Eastern Conference grind, and Golden State stayed healthy last year. I do think that that's just kind of funny. I'm not trying to disagree with you there, but I did think it was kind yeah. of funny that the Cavaliers limp into the finals and the Warriors are the healthy team. Well, I mean that that speaks to just the how strong one is and how weak the other is. A, a weakened Cavs team can get to the finals, but it takes a fully healthy roster to to win the West, as we saw with Golden State. Uh, yeah, I love this roster. I mean, I don't. Did you say Boris Dio and Matt Bonner as well? As I, I said, Boris Dio. I didn't say Matt Bonner. Matt Bonner would be the eleventh. Yeah, and then, did you did you know Jimmer Fredette is on this team as well? I did. He's like the what sixteenth guy or something like that. I don't know. I, I just yeah, think I don't that. know. But I mean, if there's ever a time to reinvent your career, it's when you're playing on the Spurs. I mean, look at what happened with Danny Green. With, with a lot of these guys, I mean, Boris Diaw kind of traveled around before coming there. I mean, I, I believe in the Spurs. I think they're the best team. And, yeah, who, who's your number two? Because they're really good. Well, number two has got to be the defending champs, the Golden State Warriors. I mean, they didn't really lose anybody. They didn't really gain anybody, but they didn't really lose anybody. And Steph Curry, I still think, is a top five player in the NBA. You could argue top three. They still have the Splash Brothers. They still have uh, Draymond Green. They still have all the guys who were integral to their championship run, essentially. So I think, and Steve Kerr showed that he is a very creative coach. I know he inherited a very strong roster, but he did make some very key decisions throughout the playoffs and throughout the regular season to maximize the talent. Harrison Barnes took a big step forward. So I think that you got to give respect to the defending champs, especially since they're returning pretty much their entire roster. Yeah, it's hard to argue against that. Uh Last year was the the best case situation for the Golden State Warriors. I wonder what's going to happen if they face some adversity. If say, uh, you know, Steph Curry before the last couple of years had chronic ankle problems. What if that flashes up? He misses a good stretch of time. Andrew Bogut is always injury prone. I think he already broke his nose and is out for a little bit now. Um, you know, what if the injury bug comes and hits and takes out some of these guys for a little bit? Can they continue to play? the kind of basketball that won them a championship last year. That's going to be the key for me uh, watching the Warriors. But if they're healthy, yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody left. Uh, they didn't really add anybody. This is a, a good young team that has a little bit of veteran leadership in, in Gadala and, and Bogut. Certainly they are uh, one of the top four teams. I have them number two as well. All righty. I might surprise you with my number three team, Bob. Maybe I won't, but I might. Nothing surprised me in the way you could, I mean, eight, you could name eight teams and put them number three and I wouldn't be surprised. I guess that's true. I do think the West is a little bit weaker this year than it has. It's still stronger than the East, but I do think that some of the teams have dropped off significantly. I think Portland might drop off Memphis, who knows, but my number three team is the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think Kevin Durant is going to be healthy this year. Russell Westbrook, we saw what he can do without Kevin Durant. We saw what he can do with Kevin Durant. We saw what this team can do when it's all healthy. It gets to the Western Conference Finals a lot and is a generally a championship contender. So I think that if healthy, it is one of the best teams in the West. And I think they're the talent-wise the third best team in the West. The biggest question, though, is the coaching change. Billy Donovan, can he get more out of this team than what Scott Brooks did? I didn't think the Scott Brooks firing was fair. In fact, I wrote about it on FenleyRoadSports.com. One of my first blogs was Scott Brooks got a raw deal. 
what more could he have done? I mean, you're going to fire the guy after an injury-riddled season, after he's proven that he can get the team to the contention level of the playoffs, the championship rounds consistently. I think that wasn't really fair. But at the same time, when you have a coaching change, you have a potential to do something better. And maybe Billy Donovan can take this team to the level that Scott Brooks just couldn't, even though Brooks had them playing at a very high level year in and year out. Yeah, I don't think Scott Brooks did anything wrong. I think uh, by hiring a new coach, by firing your old coach that uh, you know you worked with for so long, you're going to see just a natural bump in the production. Um, Billy Dahman's a good basketball coach, so I don't think he's going to screw things up. I think you're just going to see uh, the team react a little bit quicker and a little bit more positively towards him. So that's not going to be. Uh, it's going to make Scott Brooks look a little bad, maybe, but I I don't think you can fault him for it. It's just what happens when you when you have a really good team and you change coaches because you're a little bit disappointing. I'm interested to see this this Thunder team. I have the number three as well. It didn't surprise me at all. I mean, Kevin Durant, you got 20 games out of. Uh, Russell Westbrook, I think you only got 60 games out of. I mean, you have two, two of the 10 best players in the NBA and you didn't get a full season out of them combined. Uh, yeah, the, there's a lot of potential here. Kevin Durant did not play with Enos Cantor. I thought that was a really good move at the trade deadline see how they react together. I like the drafting of Cameron Artis Payne. I th- not Cameron. That's a football player. Cameron Payne. I think he's a really good uh, three and D guard out there. So yeah, there's talent here. And I definitely think that they are in contention for winning that Western conference. X factor is of course, Dion waiters, baby. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if he can stop shooting threes and accept that he's a driving shooting guard combo. Yeah. He could be an X factor, but I don't see that happening. <laughs> True X factor though. I like Kyle Singler off the bench. I think that he can. He's obviously not Kevin Durant, but I think he's a very good big who can swing and guard multiple positions. Having him come off your bench, very strong guy. He could. I mean, honestly, he could be your starting shooting guard as well, and you know, knock down threes if you wanted to. Alrighty, so I've I've, I've revealed the last two teams, Bob. Who do you have fourth in the West? Um, this is a team that I really just don't like to watch. I don't really like them, but they do seem to win games, and that's the LA Clippers. Uh, they, the DeAndre Jordan saga is over. He's back with the Clippers. I guess be happy with a guy that can't hit 50% of his free throws, LA. Like, that'll be cool for you guys. Um, so the starting lineup is returning. The bench is a little bit different. They traded for Lance Stevenson, who at one point was the the big X factor, the LeBron killer for the Indiana Pacers before he left to sign that deal with Charlotte. He averaged 13.7 rebounds and four assists was always a threat to get a triple double. Can he get his attitude together and get his work ethic together in LA? That's a big question mark. They brought in Paul Pierce, uh, reuniting with doc rivers. I like that addition. Uh, Paul Pierce is just a, I think Paul Pierce will be playing basketball till he's 60 just somewhere every day (laughs) he's just a guy that will always be making shots and always coming up big I really like watching him play so I like that addition and then you also add Josh Smith who was so volatile in Detroit that Detroit could not move him for anything they had to just cut him and still pay him that salary so he's basically a mercenary floating around signing to whoever he wants because he's getting a big paycheck from Detroit still he went to Houston last year and kind of reinvented himself partially because Houston has 
a very strong system that works for a guy that can shoot a three-pointer. He shot more corner threes in Houston than he ever did in his career, and that really saved his career. So what is he going to be like in L.A.? He has a great shot creator in Chris Paul. Is he going to still operate in that very close system where he's only looking for corner threes, or is he going to be the chucker that we saw in Detroit? So you're, this is a volatile roster with Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Chris Paul, all have reputations of being soft and kind of breaking down at the worst moments. And now you add guys like Lance Stevenson and Josh Smith into the mix. I, It could blow up in their faces really quickly, but the talent's there. Blake Griffin uh, took another step last year. There's enough for them to be the fourth best team in the West. I agree with you. And I think Doc Rivers at coach eases some of my concerns with the sort of, uh, I guess, psychological issues of this roster. Another guy who does is Paul Pierce. I think that was a very good addition. I think he could kind of keep these guys on point when things start to get ugly, when the when the ship starts to rock a little bit. So I think those two guys could be stabilizing forces in that locker room. But on paper, you've got Lance Stevenson and Josh Smith coming off the bench on paper. You still have Jamal Crawford coming off the bench on paper. This is a really good team name-wise and on paper – the question is, can the Clippers finally get it together and play to the potential that they have on paper? That's the key. We'll see if they can do it. They they all, they had Houston dead to right in the Eastern in the Western Conference semifinals, and they let them off the hook in Game Six. So they've shown that they can. They've shown that they have the potential. The question is, can they close the deal and take that next step? But I agree. Yeah, we agree. Top four are exactly the same, Bob. So I guess who would be your dark horse in the West? There are plenty of teams to pick from. Yeah, again, I I looked at this uh, just in the context of who's going to surprise me just in making the playoffs, who's going to be kind of a, a team we didn't think was going to do it. And uh, this is probably very unlikely, but the Sacramento Kings have the pieces to make the playoffs. With DeMarcus Cousins, the best center in the game, they added Rajon Rondo. What is he going to be like? If he's a good, if he plays like he was at peak Boston era, this is a playoff team for sure. With that pick and roll, with Rudy Gay on the outside, with Willie Cauley Stein, a guy that I know you really like, that he could play power forward maybe for a little bit. They added Marco Bellinelli and Karan Butler at the forward position. I mean, there's enough talent here for them to sneak in in the eighth seed, even in the Western Conference. And we were just talking about volatile rosters. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins and Rajon Rondo, how many head cases do you want on a team when the roster can only have 12 people? Uh, that's a big concern. But if George Carl can get production out of those guys, which there's already reports that he can't, <laughs> um, they can make the playoffs. I, I agree. I think they have the talent to make the playoffs. But as you said, there are a lot of head cases in Sacramento, and uh, George Carl's already clashing, clashing with DeMarcus Cousins. So we'll see if that pans out. I like the way you did your dark horses. I did my dark horse in the East a little bit different because I think a lot of uh, sort of subpar teams are going to make it. So I think Milwaukee could challenge to go deep in the East. But I like the way you did it in the West, and so I'm going to change up my dark horse a little bit. And I think the Minnesota Timberwolves could make the playoffs. I know that's a bit of a limb pick. Maybe I'm a year early on them, but I really liked Carl Anthony Towns, even though I argued for Jaleel Okafor to go number one overall. It's not because I didn't like Carl Anthony Towns. I think he's going to have a fine career. And I really liked Tyus Jones. 
getting him at point guard. I think he's the point guard of the future. They have a really strong foundation there. Andrew Wiggins shown flashes of being a superstar. If those other two guys, if Towns can be the number two or even number one and make Wiggins the number two, and Jones can be the number three, I think they have the pieces around them to make a run at that eight seed in the West. And then rounding out my playoffs would be Houston, New Orleans, and Memphis. Who are your other three teams? Yep, I have Houston, New Orleans, and Memphis. I I think that they are, yeah, I, I don't think there's much arguing with those guys. Did you know that Nick Wiggins is on the Minnesota Timberwolves? I did not know that. I think that's Andrew Wiggins' older brother. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if they're related. I can't imagine there aren't too many NBA caliber Wiggins yeah. out there. You know, I, I like that Timberwolves pick. I mean, they they have a lot of young guys in, in Wiggins and Towns, like you said, but they do have some vets in Kevin Garnett, Andre Miller, and Nikola Pevichik, and Kevin Martin. I mean, this is a roster that could surprise some people for sure. If they can get some production out of Shabazz Muhammad and Ricky Rubio, they might be, be on to something. I mean, who knows? Certainly. I like that pick. So let's get to our end-of-the-year awards. First off, we picked all the best teams. Bob... I think we're going to be in agreement here, but who do you have as the worst team in the NBA? It was I was really tempted to to pick the New York Knicks just because I don't like them, but you got a guy like Carmelo Anthony. It's hard to see them being the worst team again if he actually plays this year. Uh, it's got to be the Philadelphia 76ers. Exactly. Uh, uh, total agreement. Yeah, I mean, I like the Julio Okafor pick, and I like... Uh, mm, Nerland's Noel, sorry, the center. Yeah, Nerland's Noel. Uh, I, th- I think that they'll play well together. I mean, you have a, a stout defensive center in Nerland's Noel, and you have an offensive wizard in Jaleel Okafor. I think that'll be a good front court. It's just you got this guy, um, Joel Embiid, just making you look ter- as more terrible than you already are. The third overall pick from last year, second consecutive year, he's going to miss – He's not going to play an NBA game. He's going to miss this season with his foot injury. I couldn't even tell you who's in the backcourt for the Sixers. I mean, they just continue to draft big men and don't address any other position and then trade away anybody that they have talent. Uh, yep, uh, they're, they're in for another terrible tanking year. I think they were really disappointed that the Lakers didn't take Jaleel Okafor because I really think they wanted D'Angelo Russell to even out that roster a little bit. But, hey, I, I don't blame the Okafor pick. It was a great value pick. The problem is when you reach on Embiid the year before you're left with a log jam at center so I think they're in for another long year Bob who do you think is going to win rookie of the year I think it's going to be a two-horse race between Jaleel Okafor and D'Angelo Russell and I'm going with Russell just because I think uh, Okafor and Noel I just said they'll work well together but I think that might cause some problems for Okafor on offense for getting rookie of the year type numbers Russell's a scorer he's going to be playing a lot on a really bad Lakers team that isn't really going to do much. He's just going to, he's going to score a lot. And that seems to be what wins the rookie of the year. So I'm going with him. I agree with that. If you want to win rookie of the year, score a ton of points and you know, they don't factor team performance in as much though. I will say Russell's might have a Kobe Bryant problem. We'll see how, how much he can actually touch the ball to score. 
I do think, though, that if the Minnesota Timberwolves make the playoffs, it's going to be because Carl Anthony Towns was the most impressive rookie this year because there's no way they if – they, if they don't – if they make the playoffs, he's going to have to play like an elite level number two at least to complement Andrew Wiggins, and I think that will get him not only the numbers but the fact that the Timberwolves would be a playoff team in the West after drafting him number one overall. I think he'll get a lot of credit for that and will win rookie of the year. Again, kind of hedging my bet on Minnesota making the playoffs, but I think if it happens, Carl Anthony Towns is your top rookie. All right, Bob, another big question here. Who do you have as most valuable player? His MVP campaign started last year when he posted the 11th highest player efficiency rating uh, in NBA history. Only Wilt Chamberlain, Michael Jordan, LeBron James have posted PERs better than Anthony Davis in 2014-2015. 24 points per game, 2.9 blocks per game that led the league, 10, 10.2 rebounds a game. This guy is the best player in the NBA. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I, I understand some of the guys. There are a lot of good players on better teams, but Anthony Davis is the best player. If he continues what he did last year, even drops off just a little bit, I think he has to get MVP. I think – I know – uh, you have to be a top four team in your conference to win the MVP. That's Not what just history... that. You got to be a top two team in your conference. Yeah, I know. Uh, history says that, but uh, the way the season that he had last year, the argument that people were putting forward for him to win it last year, if he continues that this year, I think he's going to break the mold. And I think he's going to win MVP regardless of where the Pelicans finish, even though I do have them making the playoffs. Hey, I agree with you. I thought he should have won MVP last year. But based on the way this thing works, your team's got to be up towards the top of the standings. It's one of those I'll believe it when I see it. But I hope you're right. I hope if he puts another season forth like he did last year, he's not denied the MVP because of his team's record. I disagree slightly. I still think LeBron James is the best player in the NBA. But Anthony Davis is coming for that title really quickly. You could argue for LeBron James to win the MVP every single year. I think that he is the best player in the NBA, as I just said. I don't think he'll win MVP because I don't think they're trying to win him MVP. I don't think he's going to play to win the MVP award. The guy I think will win MVP is Kevin Durant. Because I think he's motivated to do so, to prove that last year was a fluke. It's a contract year for him. And if he returns to the Kevin Durant of the year before when he won MVP... The Oklahoma City Thunder are going to be a top two team in the West or maybe even top three at the worst, but I think they'll have a good enough record that voters will overlook them being a third seed. I think Kevin Durant is going to be extra motivated. He has the backstory of not playing last year, so if his team has a huge jump in production, it will be attributed to him, and he has the ability to put up huge numbers. So I think those three things, fair or not, all favor Kevin Durant if he can return from injury and play at the level we're accustomed to him to seeing him play at. One thing that also favored Kevin Durant when he won the MVP in 2013-14 was uh, Russell Westbrook only played 46 games that year. So if both those guys are healthy, we saw what Russell Westbrook could do without Kevin Durant. He's going to want to continue to do that. I think there's going to be a little bit of a clash and their numbers aren't going to reach the MVP level just because they're so good together. I agree that is a concern, but here's the thing, though. Russell Westbrook didn't make the playoffs without Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant comes back and the Thunder shoot up to a top three team, team, voters are going to attribute it to Kevin Durant. Fair or not, that's what's going to happen. And I think Durant would be the alpha dog 
in the MVP pecking order. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very good pick. I was tempted to pick him. I was tempted to pick Russell Westbrook as well. Um, yeah, I, I can't argue with either of those. Certainly. All right, Bob, it's time for the moment of truth. Who you got in the finals and who you got winning it all? This is, I mean, this is going to be a really lame pick, but I think the Cavs uh, are just going to run through the Eastern Conference. I think they're, uh, I'm, I feel safest picking them to win, to go into the finals. And then I just can't, I can't not pick the Spurs, man. Just what they've done the past few years. I know they got knocked out early last year, but adding LaMarcus Aldridge to the Spurs roster. I'm excited to see it. I think they're going to win the Western Conference. I think it's going to be a matchup of two number ones, as lame as that sounds. And I guess I have to pick the Cleveland Cavaliers just because I just because I have to. I, I don't. I think hey, they're going man, to do it. Go all in, man. We're Cleveland fans. It's not a homer pick this year, and just because it's the obvious pick doesn't mean it's not the right pick. But I think the Cavs and Spurs will meet in LeBron v. Duncan. Round four, we'll, hopefully LeBron can even his head-to-head matchup with the Spurs to 2-2. Two and two. I think it'll be really tough if the Spurs are there, but I think the Cleveland Cavaliers and the San Antonio Spurs are almost on a collision course, and I think the Cavs will prevail and end this drought of futility that dates back to 1964. Can you believe the Browns are the last team to win a championship in Cleveland. It's kind of ridiculous when you look at the Browns right now, but it's true. They actually had a really awesome football team for about 15 years a long time ago. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can't believe it just because I've been told it my whole life <laughs> that they had a good team. Um, yeah, crazy, Chris. You've picked uh, two Cleveland teams and two of our three previews to win the, the championship. I know, I know, I know. I mean... The Indians pick was a very emotional pick. I'll be the first to admit that. That was a bit of a reach. I think I think most people can see the Cavaliers have are easily one of the two favorites to win the title this year. I mean, yeah. I would say it's the Cavs and the Spurs. Maybe you're throwing the Warriors and make the Cavs third, whatever. But I think that those three teams are a cut above everyone else. Yeah, I forget what the Vegas odds are, but I think they're – I think the Spurs are the favorite. Cavs are number two. I haven't seen a lot of preview picks come out yet, but I, I have to imagine that's going to be 50-50 Cavs Spurs for, for most finals picks. Yeah, and maybe a few Warriors thrown in there. I wouldn't be surprised if some people tip the cap to them. But you're right. I think those two guys, teams, are going to be the overwhelming majority of finals picks. So it's not like we're breaking the mold too much, but hey, like I said, just because it's the obvious pick doesn't mean it's not the right pick. We'll see if it turn, comes to fruition. We certainly both hope it comes to fruition come June, which is eight months away from now. So we've got a long, long road ahead. But unfortunately, our stop on this road has to come right now. And we'll be back again this week with a bonus episode recapping all of the great action in the MLB playoffs, a couple of intense game fives. We had a crazy college football game between Michigan and Michigan State this weekend. So come back this week for that. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe via iTunes, FenleyRoadSports.com. You can get the link there. Thank you for listening to What Are You Talking About? Please follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports, and Instagram, FenleyRO80Sports. And come back to the website for some more updated content. We'll have some blogs rolling out this week as well. 
And thank you again for your support. Rate us highly on iTunes and come back for more. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take care, Bob.